It seems like the older you get, the harder it is to remember anything. This is especially true when life is busy and stressful. But it's in exactly those moments that remembering who God is and what he says becomes even more important. That's why it's so cool that Moses sets these truths to music for the Israelites. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that Moses knew that this song would help God's people remember the most important things. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, as he begins his message, Moses' Song. Let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Deuteronomy, chapter 32, as we are winding down ever so slowly... The book of Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the children of Israel are on the precipice of the promised land. They've just renewed the covenant that God made with them at Sinai. They re-upped on that covenant. They reaffirmed their vows. And don't miss the fact that that was very important because for the children of Israel who are now about to go into the promised land, they had been in the wilderness for some 40 years. And as they had been in the wilderness for these 40 years, the older generation, everyone who was 30 years and older, had perished in the wilderness except for Caleb and Joshua. And Moses is about to go home to be with the Lord. And so for this emerging generation, it was important for Moses to relay the foundation of who God is and what God requires. And so what Moses does is in order to fully ratify this treaty that they've made, Moses wrote a song and he made them memorize the song. Now that might seem weird to you, but it's not to me because as a musician, I love music so much. And what goes on is that for many of us, you can't remember what you ate for breakfast yesterday, but you remember the songs that you sang growing up. Isn't it true? Am I the only one like that? Like, there's all sorts of things I can't remember, but if a song that I loved growing up comes on, I know all the lyrics. Like, I can do all of Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> that was real popular when I was growing up. And, and I know some of you are like, I know that. And I was like, stop, collaborate. You, know, you guys know how it goes. And if you don't know it, then you better ask somebody. Because, I mean, it's classic stuff. And so there's something about when you put things to music... That the melody of it rings in your ears. Now, if you think Vanilla Ice needs Jesus, I agree with you. But this was before I was a Christian, so it's like, it's just a good song. And as a bass, never mind. I'm going to leave the Ice Ice Baby comment alone for a second. 
But as a bass player, it's the bass line from Under Pressure by Queen, a classic bass line. Anyway. anyway. There's just something about music. And so what Moses decides to do is he wants them to sing a song to remember all these things so that these things will be called to their remembrance. And all of us need to allow God to help us call these things into remembrance. That we don't forget. Because I don't know about you, we can forget how faithful the Lord has been. We can forget all these different things. And in the midst of the struggles and the trials of life, in the midst of all the things that could and might go wrong, if you do not allow the Lord to bring these things back into your remembrance, we're going to forget who he is and we're going to forget how faithful he is. And music is a great way to do that. And so Moses gives them this song. Now what's interesting is that the song is not necessarily prophetic or the foretelling of future events, but it does have some significant prognostic overtones. See, Israel's future is not depicted in the best light, because really the theme of this song is that God is good and the children of Israel are not. God is going to bless them, and because God blessed them, they're going to forget him. It's kind of dreary, isn't it? But listen, faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, God gives us corrective words. God admonishes and warns us, not because he's mad at us, but because he loves us. And how many of us in our times of need have cried out to the Lord and asked the Lord to do an amazing work, and then God does an amazing work, and because he's blessed us, then we summarily fall away. We forget. It happens to a lot of us. In the moment of greatest need, we fall to our knees. But once that need is met and the crisis averts, then all of a sudden, we just go about living our lives. And we walk away. It's a very common story. Unfortunately, I'm sure there's some of you who are hearing this right now. Whether here in our Vancouver campus or in our Southwest Portland campus or online, or you're hearing this message on the radio, on the television, or online somewhere That's your story right now. You cried out to the Lord in a time of great need and God did an amazing work. And then in his blessings, we found ourselves straying away because the need wasn't there anymore. And that's the story of the... And if you read, obviously, if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that's the story you get. Over and over again, where the people of God, they need the Lord, God intervenes, God blesses, and then they fall away. But that doesn't have to be our story. See, the Bible says that these things were written for our admonition. See, we can learn from when we see this happening and we can say, because I see this and I know that there's something wrong here, I'm going to make sure I don't do that. The key for us is to learn how to press into the Lord as profoundly when things are going right and great as if when things are going bad. To realize how needy we are even in the midst of God's blessing and not only realize how needy we are of him when things are really bad. So let's look at this song together. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're actually going to start in chapter 31 verse 30. It says, Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Verse 1 of chapter 32. Give ear, O heavens, I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, 
My speech distills the dew as raindrops on the tender herb or herb, depending on how you like to syllabify that word, and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His works is perfect, and all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Now, when I think about this as lyrics, what I realize is that Moses is the kind of songwriter is he wants the epic introduction. He's not going to wait till the bridge for the epic bridge. He wants this thing to begin boom. Because he begins by saying all of creation needs to hear this story. He's calling all that God created to hear the story of the people of God, of what God has done. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. He's saying all of creation, tune your ears in. And you have to realize the Bible actually teaches that all of creation is excited about what God does in his people. If you read the book of Romans, chapter 8, some amazing verses, it literally says that all of creation groans and labors for the revealing of the sons of God. And when it says sons of God, of course, it means the children of God, the people of God. See, because of what happened at the fall, when not only did Adam and Eve fall, but all of creation fell with them. And all of creation is longing for the fulfilling of God's redemptive plan. And Moses is saying, hey, I want you to see... God's redemptive plan is at work in the deliverance of the children of Israel into the promised land from Egypt. Now, I love because, and for us here in the Pacific Northwest, when Moses starts talking about his teachings being like drops of rain, speech distilled as dew, as raindrops on tender plants, and as showers on the grass, we know exactly what he's talking about. Right? Like This is like very good language for us. But you have to remember that The children of Israel lived in what is modern-day Israel, the Middle East area, and it's a very arid climate. It's a desert climate. And so it's not like he's in the Pacific Northwest and he's being like, yeah, it's like rain. It's like, no, they needed rain or else none of their crops grew. And it was a very dry climate. And so he's saying, I want my words, these words that I'm going to share, they're like water to a parched soul. It's like the most important thing ever. In that day and age, if there was not sufficient rain, everybody starved to death. They couldn't just like go into Costco and buy food-like substances. You know, it's like if their rain didn't fall, you never heard the phrase food-like substances? (laughs) Foodish, things that you eat that's not really food. Twinkies are not in that category, by the way. Because I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, are you talking about Twinkies? No. Twinkies are angel's food, manna. I don't understand why they put the plastic on it, because I'm sure God didn't put the plastic on the manna that fell for the children of... Anyway, I digress. You know what the word manna means? It literally means, what is it? Which is the perfect definition for Twinkies, isn't it? Like, you know it's this golden spongy stuff, and there's the cream filling, but what is it really, you know? Sorry, I'm having tangents, sorry. Back to the text. He is saying that my teaching, as it's coming forth, it's meant to nourish. It's meant to satisfy thirst. And he begins right away, I proclaim the name of the Lord. Now listen, 
the name of the Lord always denotes God's whole nature. I've always said it this way, and it makes me laugh when I say it. But when someone gives their name, like if you said, you know, oh yeah, so it's Pastor Daniel. D-A-N-I-E-L. No one thinks when you say Pastor, you don't think of the letters of my name. You think of me. Kind of short, hairy, incredibly handsome, hopefully. You know, you, you get that warm and fuzzy feeling inside. He's so funny. He likes this. Like, he, you know, like, it, you know, you don't think of the letters of the name. You think of the person and the personality. If you put anyone's name that you know in there, you don't think about, oh yeah, well their name is spelled this way. No, you think about the whole nature. And so when Moses says that I want to share with all of creation, I am going to proclaim the name of the Lord. He's saying, I want the words that I speak and the life that I live to shout out the God whom I serve. And my friends, this is what a testimony of a follower of Jesus is all about. It's that your life shouts out in every conceivable way that your God is the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, that you are proclaiming out loud who he is to the world. I've said it so many times. Everybody gets the chance to read the Bible. Most people never actually crack open the book. They just read the lives of his followers. You are meant to be a living translation of the scriptures. But here's the thing. Like with the Bible, not all translations are good translations. Is your life a good translation of the scriptures? Are you allowing the spirit of God to prompt you? And are you responding to his prompts so that your life proclaims out loud the name of God, the nature of God, who God is? You might be saying, well, how do I know? Well, because Jesus shows us what God with skin on looks like. People always say that Jesus is God-like, but oftentimes we fail to remember that God is also Jesus-like. Jesus is what the holy God looks like in human form, because he's God. So we see Jesus and we learn, this is what God in flesh looks like. And we, our lives should reflect that. That's why they called the early church, they called them Christians. Those who are like Christ. And that is God's desire as a testimony in all of our lives. So we want our lives to proclaim the name of the Lord. And when we do that, our lives now get infused with tremendous purpose. Where we find ourselves being nourishment And satiation for people in their times of thirst, in their, in their needs. Now, not only that, he begins to explain this a little more. Not only does he proclaim the name of the Lord in the middle of verse three, ascribe greatness to our God. The idea of ascribing greatness, you're saying, yeah, God's awesome. He is huge. I mean, you think of that word great, you can use it in a lot of different ways. And it's not like, man, I love his baseball season. That's great. The idea is that God is beyond comprehension. That God is amazing. It's unfortunate in this day and age, the idea of God is great kind of sounds trite and strange, but it's true. Like, I'll be honest with you. God is the coolest, kindest, funniest, most loving person I've ever met. Like, the adjective great is perfect for the true and living God. 
Because he's amazing. And if you've walked with God, even for just a small amount of time, you're learning that. And I think there's some of you, you're hearing this right now, and you're like, well, I'd like to know that you can walk with God too. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to take my word for it. I mean, the Bible tells the story of all sorts of people who are having their own relationship with God, and they're telling people about it, and people wrote this stuff down so that we can study. But you get to have your own experience with God, and you will find that God is great. Now, when I say God is great, doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. Because I know when you say God is great, well, God's a vending machine then. Great. I needed that. I put it in my prayer. I get out my Snickers. You know, I'm talking about food tonight. You put it in the, you know. See, that's not who God is. It, when we say God, it doesn't mean God's going to give you everything that you want. What you learn is that God gives you everything you need. Some of you are struggling with God because there are things that you want. He's not giving you what you want. He's giving you what you need. Because he's a good father and he loves you. When I look back on my own life, I realize that God was really smart in withholding things that I thought were good because I couldn't handle them. And when I started to get comfortable that God's got a different timetable, he's got a different plan, amazing things began to happen because that's what trust is all about, isn't it? Trust is allowing God to do what he wants to do in the time that he wants to do it in. And saying, God, whether you do what I think you should or not, I know you're good, you're great, you love me, and your plans are perfect even if I don't understand them. So we want to live lives that ascribe greatness to God. That we live these lives that we say, with the way that we live, our God is huge. He's amazing, he's majestic. And not only that, we get a bunch of other adjectives. He is the rock. I love this. It speaks of God being strong and stable. Speaks of God being one that can be relied upon. You'll find this image of God being rock steady, being a fortress that we can run into. You find this all through the Bible. Of course, Jesus is the rock. We find that in 1 Corinthians and a number of other places as well. And what's interesting is that because Jesus is the rock, he can take someone like the apostle Peter, who was a little stone, and make him a rock. He can make him a pillar. And that's what God does because, see, because God is strong, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. See, that's one of the things I love about the Lord because the Lord isn't scared of our weaknesses. God knows how to leverage our weakness to get his purposes done. It's like, do you realize that you're actually the best in God's kingdom when you realize you don't have it all together? Because then you show up and you say, God, I can't do this. And he says, yeah, I know, but I can't. And I like to use imperfect people so that no flesh would glory in my presence. That no one would take credit for what I'm doing. I always love our founding pastor here at Crossroads. Pastor Bill Ritchie always says, look, God's to blame for what's going on at Crossroads. It's like, don't blame me. This is God's fault. And I love that. Because it's true. It's his kingdom. It's his people. It's God's fault. But you know what? You actually have to know that it's God's fault because some of the stuff is just our fault, isn't it? Like when we get in the flesh, we start doing stuff our own way. So we have God. He's rock. He's strong. He's steady. Not only that, his work is perfect. Everything that God does is right. Now, I want to, when I say that, I realize, you know, I didn't grow up following Jesus. And so even now, as I've been walking with the Lord for about 20 years, when I read things like that, my skeptical side of me comes out and says, not everyone feels that way. And guess what? I know that many of you, you struggle with that. You're like, if God's ways are perfect, why did that happen? 
And if God, if his ways and purposes are perfect, then why would that go on? And when people ask me those questions, and I get asked that a decent amount, I always say, I know it sounds illogical, and I can't explain it to you, but the Bible says that when we know as we are known, no one will be able to bring a reviling accusation against God. So when we understand everything as the all-knowing God sees it, none of us will be able to say, God, you got that wrong. But until that day, which is not right now, then we begin to trust in God's goodness. When a bad situation happens and someone says, "Ah, how could God? I said, all I can tell you is to choose hope and trust in God's goodness because our Bibles say that God is good and we can hope in him. And I know it doesn't fix it. And some would, you know, those of you who are real philosophical would say, well, that is a cop out. But philosophers say that always when they don't like what you say. But it's real. If God is real and he is, and if God is good and he is, and when bad things happen, if God is good and his ways are truly perfect, then there are ways that he is working together bad things for perfect reasons. It was Martin Luther who said that behind a frowning providence, there is a smiling face. It's a powerful phrase. It's saying that when everything looks bad, God has a good work that he's doing. But isn't that a walk of faith, isn't it? Like, you have to choose to believe that. And I think our Bible backs it up. And if you're like, well, how do I know God is good? You just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you ever doubt the goodness of God, you with the eyes of faith, you look at the cross of Jesus where God's perfect son died for us. We didn't deserve that. God did that because of his goodness. God said, I don't want you to have to bear the weight of your mistakes. I'm going to let my son handle it because we can handle it. You can't. So if you ever doubt God's goodness, the cross is the remedy for that because the cross shows God's amazing love, his amazing goodness. His love triumphed despite our rebellion. So we have this idea that God's ways are perfect. His ways are justice. We talked about that on Resurrection Sunday. All the things that pertain to what is right. All perfect social obligation. He's a God of truth and without injustice. Now, obviously, when you talk about truth in this day and age, we have to kind of discuss it a little bit because people say, well, that's your truth. There's nothing more untrue than the idea of situational truth. Like if you have a truth and you have a truth and you have a truth and they're all different truths, guess what? Maybe none of them are the truth. So people say all the time, well, that's your truth. I'm like, well, no, the truth is the truth. And the question is, is do we subscribe to it or not? Now, people don't like that because they say, well, who are you to say that your truth is the right truth? And I always say, I'm nobody. But God, who is true, Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life, the one who conquered sin and death, he's allowed to tell us this is what the truth is, and our job is to subscribe to it. Jesus is real. In this broken and hurting world, having a secure foundation is essential. Then when the storms of life come, and they will, you won't be blown away. Today, Pastor Daniel shared the first part of the song Moses wrote for the people of Israel. Moses knew that they would need to remember the character of God. He's just and good. 
you are reminded that the doubts you have about his goodness fade away in the cross of Christ. Jesus gave up everything for your sake so you can have a relationship with God. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will continue working through the Song of Moses, the one that he shared with the Israelites. Like them, we also get off track and need God to correct us. The words of Moses' song will help to redirect you to the truth of who God is and remind you who you are, a sinner who needs the grace and mercy of God. There is more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Cause and Effect. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.